growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. If you're good, then you'll go to the good place. When you were a kid, did you ever have your parents promise to take you somewhere if you were good? At Christmas time, most parents tell their children that a certain someone is going to drop off a sack full of toys only if we're good girls and boys. But what about getting into heaven? Is being good good enough to get you and me in? There is a biblical idea of good for good and bad for bad. The question is, does my good determine where I'm going to spend eternity? I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. Ask people what it takes to get into heaven, and you may get a variety of answers, but the one you'll hear the most is, be a good person. The question is, is that true? Is my eternal destination based on whether I'm good or bad, or does God have a different standard for entrance into heaven? Is it possible that the world has been deceived into believing that if I can just be good enough, I'm going to get in? That's the latest deceptive con that Pastor Clay is taking on today in our series that's exploring some of the deceptions that are robbing people of God's best for their lives. Obviously, knowing what it takes to get to heaven is an important subject. And as Pastor Clay is going to explain today, man-made religions all centered on man's ability to be good enough. But God's standard is a lot higher than most people realize. We're glad you've joined us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with this week's important message. Despite the fact that we live in a world that is every day becoming more and more secularized, in other words, uh, non non-relational to God. No, it's becoming more and more about us and about the world. Despite the fact that we live in a world that is becoming increasingly that way, it's interesting that the vast majority of uh, people in the world in general, but, but the statistics I looked at had to do specifically with Americans, the vast majority of Americans still believe in the reality of heaven. A Gallup poll uh, that was taken in 2004 uh, indicated that uh, 81% of Americans uh, believe in heaven. That's, that's a pretty high percentage. I, I read a, a 2012, uh, or, or I read an article on katiekirk.com where she quoted a, a 2012 uh, survey that said that 85% of Americans believe in the reality of heaven. Now, what's really interesting is I read another article that said that only 1.5% of Americans believe that they're going to hell. (laughs) So apparently, heaven's going to be a pretty crowded place. Watch this. How does a person go to heaven? A person dies and goes to heaven. This world, nobody's going to heaven. I don't know. never really thought about it. How does a person get to heaven? I would like to think it's because they're a decent human being. How does a person get to heaven? Not the way I'm getting there, that's for sure. (laughs) That's a tough one. I don't know. Hopefully doing the right things. (laughs) How does a person get to heaven? Actually, you don't get there because you're already there. It's already equal. Every day, you got a day and you got a night, so... You're in heaven and hell all the time. So how are you going to get where you already are? How does a person get to heaven? How does a person get to heaven? 
I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm not religious. I'm sorry. Heaven's inside us already. So I don't think you get to heaven. I think that something that you just recognize inside yourself and inside other people. To heaven? Not, not the good old way of the purgatory. These days, it's like good deeds. How does a person get to heaven? I don't know that there really is one. Oh, I know. <laughs> I guess that's one of the reasons you go to heaven when you work hard. You know, the easy answer is be a good Christian because I'm Christian. You could be a good Jew. You could be a good person of Islamic faith. Doesn't matter. How does a person get to heaven? Through the front door. Who opens that front door? Is ever guarding heaven's gate at the time that you arrive? You go right through the front door if they let you in, and if they don't let you in, turn your way and you try another day. How does a person get to heaven? Uh, asking Jesus Christ in their heart. If you ask people, if you ask your friends or your neighbors, if you did an on-the-street survey like this one, if you ask people, what does it take to get to heaven? You can tell even from that video, you're going to get a lot of different answers. But the answer that you're going to hear more than any other, and I can tell you this from personal experience, the answer you're going to get more than any other is be a good person. Just be a good person. Do, do the right things. Treat people the right way. Go dig wells in Somalia or help some elderly lady across the street. Be, be fair. Don't break the law. Be Good is the idea. It just be good, and if you're good, then you'll go to the good place. Now, let's be honest. There's, there's something about that, um, that, that mindset that makes sense. There's something about that that is, that is rational. There's something about that that is logical. If heaven and hell are real places... And, and, and that's, I'm not discussing that today, by the way. Uh, if 85% of Americans believe uh, that, that it's real, then I'm just going with that. We've done other sermons and other uh, topics where we've covered and looked at, you know, evidence for the reality of God and the evidence for the reality of, you know, all this kind of stuff. So today I'm starting in the presupposition that, that heaven and hell are, are real places. Uh, but if heaven and hell are real places... If heaven is a good place and if hell is a bad place, then, then it does make sense. And you tell me if I'm wrong, but it does make sense to think that in this life, if I'm, if I'm good, if I do good things, then I get to go to the good place. And if I'm bad and do bad things, well, then I take the elevator to the basement. I, I, I get to go to the bad place because I did bad things. There's something about that that seems, seems it makes sense. I should also say that there is, there is biblical support for the idea of good to good and bad to bad. The Bible does teach that what you sow, you reap. The Bible does teach that there are consequences for our actions, good, bad. The Bible does teach that God blesses those who choose to do right, to choose to do good, that God is pleased with that and God blesses that. And the Bible also teaches that God is displeased with those who choose bad, who choose uh, to make choices that are wrong or sinful or, or destructive or hurtful. So there is a biblical idea of, of good for good and, 
and bad for bad. The question is, and I'm getting to the deceptive con here in a second, I promise. The question is, does my good or my bad determine where I'm going to spend eternity? Does my actions, do my actions in this life determine my destination for the next life? That's the question. Now, certainly, the vast majority of people on the face of the earth believe, yes, what you do in this life determines where you spend the next. We looked at that last week. I know that that's the, the majority of people that I talk with. I know that the majority opinion over the face of the earth would be that belief, that, that your eternal destination is tied to what you do down here, the good or the bad that you do. Certainly, every one of those man-made religions that we went over last week teaches that philosophy, that if you are good, you get good. You go to the good. If you're bad, you get bad. You go to the bad. But is it possible? Is it possible that the world has been deceived by someone? Is it possible that the world has been deceived into believing that if I can just be good enough, I'm going to earn my way. I'm going to I'm going to get in. Is it possible that the world has been deceived? Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm tipping my hand already, but uh, I do believe that the Bible teaches that absolutely, not only is it possible, that's exactly what has happened, that the vast majority of the world has been deceived into believing that through my good works, through being a good person, that that will be what it takes to get me into heaven. So the deceptive con this week looks like this. Is being good enough good enough to get you in? Being good enough is good enough to get you in. That's the deception that is perpetrated on the vast majority of the world, ladies and gentlemen. The question is, is that true? So, let's start at what seems to me to be a logical place to, to, to deal with this deceptive con. The deception is, oh, just, you, just be good enough. Just, just be good, and that'll be good enough to get you in. Let's deal with that. We're going we're gonna to deal with it by answer, asking a series of and answering a series of questions. First question I'm going to start with uh, looks like this. Who gets to set the bar? Now that seems like a perfectly rational place for us to start. Who is the one that gets to decide who, who or what it takes, who gets to go or what it takes to get into heaven? That seems like a logical place for us to start. Well, uh, let's answer that question by, I want to ask you a couple other uh, very simple uh, questions, and really it's, it's I'm asking two questions, but it's the same question asked two different ways. Uh, who, who created heaven? Based on what the Bible teaches, who created heaven? God did. That's not a trick question. You don't have to wait for somebody else to answer. God did. Since heaven is a real place, let's use a real estate analogy. Who holds the deed to heaven? God does. God holds the deed to heaven. Look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter 14, verse 19. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high. Watch this. Possessor of heaven and earth. Who holds the deed? God does. Come on, get y'all going this morning. Y'all get going, I'll get going. Whether you want it or not, I don't know. Look at, look at Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, watch this. To the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Who owns heaven? 
God does. Right? Remember, we're starting with the, with the premise God, that heaven exists. Heaven is real. We've dealt with these kind of things before. Heaven is real. 85% of Americans believe that heaven is real. Who owns heaven? Say it again. Who owns heaven? God does. All right. If God owns heaven, if God holds the deed, if God is the creator of it, the sustainer of it, the possessor of it, then who is the one who has the legal authority to determine what it takes to get into heaven? Doesn't that make sense? This is, pretty, this is a pretty simple thing, isn't it? This, this, this is pretty logical. If God is the possessor of it, if he holds the deed, then, then only God would have the legal right to determine what it takes to have access to his home. I've used uh, this analogy uh, plenty of times before, and some of you have heard it plenty of times before, uh, but I, think it's, uh, I still think it's a very effective way to try and help people understand why God is the only one that has the right to determine. We haven't even got to you know, the requirements or anything, but God is the only one who has the right to determine the requirements for what it takes to get into heaven. If you purchased a piece of property and you built your home on that, your dream home on that piece of property, wherever that is, it's in Manhattan or out on the plains of Kansas or, you know, in the North Carolina mountains, wherever your dream piece of property is and your dream home that you would build that thing, when it came time to determine the the number of, of driveways, access points to your home, who gets to make that determination? You do. You do, ladies and gentlemen, because it's your home. It's your property. And nobody, nobody would, would condemn you if you decided not to make 16 driveways to your house. Nobody would, as a matter of fact, they'd think you're a little strange if you put in 16 driveways to your house, wouldn't they? But nobody, nobody would, would, uh, would think that strange of you if you limit the number of driveways to your home. Nobody would think bad of you. Why? Because it's yours. It's your home. It's your property. You own it. And you're the one that has the legal right to determine how many driveways that you want to have. Now, let's say that you sent out an invitation to, to anyone and everyone that they are welcome to come to your home to come and fellowship with you, to come and enjoy the grandeur and the greatness of your home and, and, and all the stuff that, that you are inviting anyone and everyone. It's an open invitation. But along with that invitation came very specific directions. Here's how you reach the access point to my home. Here's how you get to the Here's the, where the driveway is. Here's how you get there. This is what it requires. So an, in, an open invitation, specific directions, and along with that, a very specific warning saying that these directions must be followed perfectly, completely. You must follow these directions, and if you don't, you will not reach the destination. Now, nobody would think that odd of you, if you extended this invitation, to then give very specific directions and even a warning about how you could get in trouble if you don't follow directions. Nobody would think that odd. As a matter of fact, most people would be very grateful, wouldn't they, that you gave such specific detailed instructions. Do you all like those people that you travel with when, and they give you those directions or they write down their directions and it's, you know, it's like uh, turn right after you go over this hill and then, look, you know what I'm saying? You want very specific stuff. You'd probably be grateful. So you sent this out and, and you sent out this invitation and then let's say that, that someone said... Well, you know, I, I know 
I know what he said. I know what she said, how to, how to get to her house. I know very specific directions, and I know there's a warning, you know, that I'm not going to get there if I don't follow this. But, you know, that's just really not my style. I've always just kind of done it my own way. I just, I think I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll find my own path. I'll come up the back way. I'll come, I'll come on the, on the, on, through the back 40. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll blaze her. You know, that doesn't seem like it'd be more fun to me anyway. Maybe it's more adventurous. I'll probably make a grander entrance if I come in that way. You know, everybody's coming in that way. I'll come in another way, and that'll make a... And besides, I'm just kind of, you know, it's me. I like to do my own thing. I don't like to be told this is how I have to go. I don't like that. I'll just... So I'll choose my own path. Now, I don't, I don't believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't believe there's a person on this planet that wouldn't say, that's not right. You, you can't do that. That's not your home. You, you don't have the right to choose how you're going to get there. They put the road in. They put the path in. They put the driveway in. You can't just choose to come any way you want. I don't believe there's a person on the planet that would disagree with that statement. And I also don't think there's a person on this planet that would blame you, the homeowner, if you said to that person that thought they could come any other way to get off of your property and don't ever try and come back again. So here's my question. Why, why does the world, I'm just speaking in generalities, but why does the world, why do people seem to think that it is unfair of God if he ushers, issues an open invitation but says that here are the specific directions and there is only one way to get to my home? Why do people think that that is unfair or unjust or unkind of God to do that when nobody would think that about you if you did it? Nobody would think you were being unfair. Why? Because it's your property. It's your home. And you're the only one who should have the right to say how we get there. See, God is the one who has the legal right to set the bar. And nobody else has the right to change the bar or to say that they don't like the bar or to, to figure out 16 other bars of which to gain them access only God has that right. In, uh, in Nehemiah, I think it is, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6, you alone are the Lord. You alone are the Lord. Can we just say amen to that? You made the skies and the heavens and all the stars. You made the earth and the seas and everything in them. You preserved them all, and the angels of heaven worship you. It's God's right. God gets to set the bar. Okay? Second question we're going to deal with is this. What is the bar? Okay, if we've established that God is, you know, really, legally, logically, rationally, God is the only one who has the right to set the bar, well then, what is the bar? What is the standard? What does it take to get into heaven? I'm going to let Jesus answer that one. In the part of the gospel letters that are known as the Sermon on the Mount, in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5, Jesus is having this, this teaching moment, this great teaching moment. Sermon on the Mount is considered one of the greatest uh, teaching moments in the history of the world. Uh, but in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is having this teaching moment where he's instructing, he's teaching people. And he's basically uh, teaching them what a follower of his looks like. And to put it in a nutshell, especially this one particular section, it's what it's, this is what it ought to look like. And, and he goes through these series of statements. Jesus begins to make these series of statements. And he, and he begins to say things like, you have, you have heard it said that dot, 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 dot. 
but I say to you, dot, 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 dot. So in other words, he brings out, here's what the law, the Levitical law and, and what the Pharisees and stuff, all the stuff that they had built. He said, here's what, here's what it says, but I say to you this. For example, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5 and verses 27 and 28, he says, you have heard, it, heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. See, uh, the, the Jewish culture had come to think of their relationship with God as really just a bunch of rules and regulations. That if I keep these rules, if I, set, if I keep these regulations, if I keep the law that's been handed down to me and, the, and that my spiritual advisors are telling me that I should do, the do's and don'ts, that if I keep all of those things, then I'm going to be okay with God, that it's going to be good. And so a Jewish man uh, might look at a woman and, uh, as the old saying goes, undress her with his eyes and think about, fantasize about having sex with her. But as long as he didn't actually, literally, physically have sex with her, then in his mind, he's okay. He's all right. He hasn't broken the rule. (laughs) And Jesus comes along and messes that theology all up. Because he's like, guys, guys. He said, you are so missing this that it's ridiculous. This this isn't about rules and regulations. This is about what? This is about the attitude of the heart. That's what this is about. This is about the heart. This isn't you you this is about the heart. Not whether you can keep the rules or the regulations. You see, here's the deal. God didn't didn't want them to just not commit adultery. God didn't want them to want to commit adultery. Because because they didn't, because he wanted them to not want to dishonor him and not want to dishonor their spouse and, and anybody else. See, it, it was getting back to the heart. And Jesus gives several examples like this. He goes on, you've, you've heard da-da-da, I say da-da-da. The point of all of these that he's given to them is that, guys, 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 listen, ladies, it's, you're missing the point. It's not about the rules and regulations. It's about the attitude of the heart. And then he comes to the end of this, uh, the end of this fifth, fifth chapter. He comes to the end of this conversation about this. And Jesus delivers, you know, what I would call a, 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 an uppercut to the gut, man. I mean, he just blows them away with the closing verse. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48. He says this. He says, you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It, it's as if Jesus comes to the end of this dialogue, if you will, with the crowd and he says, you, you think this is all about rules and regulations? You think this is about, you know, that that's what impresses God or that's what gets you in good with God as long as you, you know, check off your boxes, as long as you do this and don't do that. You think that's what it is and that's what it does about God? Fine. Here's the deal then. Just be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. There's the standard. There's the bar. What does it take to get into heaven? You just got to be perfect. Hey, and don't miss the fact <laughs> that, that Jesus says, as your Father in heaven is perfect. In other words, it's not what you think is good. It's not what the world tells you is good enough. You want to do it through your good works? You want to be good enough? Fine. All you got to do is be like God. All you got to do is be as good as God. So, who gets to set the bar? God does.
What is the bar? Absolute, sinless perfection. I sure hope the sermon don't end here. (laughs) What's the next question? Who meets the bar? (laughs) This is the classic good news, bad news scenario. First, the bad news. Who meets the bar? Nobody does. Nobody does. Not the Pope. Not the Baptist Pope, Billy Graham. Not your saint of a grandmother. Who meets the bar? Nobody meets the bar. I think I've got a little statement here. From a purely human perspective, there's not a single person who has ever measured up to the standard. Nobody has ever measured up to the bar. Because the bar is what? Say it again. The bar is what? Perfection. And listen, I don't care if you can jump like Mike. You can't jump that high. Speaking of uh, Mike... Uh, Michael Jordan and I uh, have something in common. <laughs> I really didn't want to smile when I said that, but I couldn't help myself. Michael Jordan and I have something in common. <laughs> man, man, that is cold. Actually, he's younger than I am. <laughs> no, we have something in common. Michael Jordan and I were both cut from our school's basketball teams. Now, that, that's, that's pretty much where the similarities end, uh, because he was, uh, he was taller than I was, he was faster than I was, he has, had bigger hands than I had, he could shoot better than I could, he played better defense than I could, he could rebound better than I could, uh, he, he went on to win a national championship with the University of North Carolina, and I think six NBA championships with the Chicago Bulls. But, but besides all that, and the hundreds of millions of dollars that he made, besides all of that, we, we've got something in common. I mean, we're like... You know what? This is, this is the truth. I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> I, I did. I thought I was a pretty good player. I, I wasn't the tallest guy, that's for sure. I wasn't the fastest guy, that's for sure. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm just saying, I could handle a basketball. And there weren't many people that could outshoot me. But you know what? It's irrelevant. I didn't measure up to the coach's bar. The coach had a standard. Maybe it was my middle-of-the-pack speed that did me in. Maybe it was my six-inch vertical leap that cost me my shot at the team. But the point is, I didn't measure up to the bar. I didn't reach the height that that coach had considered was necessary in order to get in, to get onto the basketball team. You see, there, there, was, there was a standard, and I just didn't make it. Do you, uh, by the way, in, I think in life, we tend to overestimate our skills and underestimate our deficiencies. Do you all think that's true? Because in my mind, you know, I was a legend in my own time. I was a legend in my own mind. Too. But in my mind, I, I, I thought I was a pretty good uh, basketball player. And I underscored, under underestimated, you know, you know what it is? It's pride. It's ego. It was whispering in my ear and it was saying, being tall is overrated. 
By the way, it's what we do with our sin, too. Does that remind you of that? That's exactly what we do with our sin. We tend to overestimate our goodness, our, our good works, our good worth, and we tend to underestimate our, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our, 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 our rebellion against God. That's exactly what we do. Sure, you're not perfect. Sure, you've made a few mistakes, but hey, look at all the good that you do too. And besides, look at that guy. Compared to that guy, you do fantastic. The problem is Jesus made it perfectly clear that that guy is not the standard. Be therefore perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Listen, I just remind you of a few passages of Scripture uh, beginning in Psalm 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Watch this. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Now, if you think, you're saying, well, wait a minute. Now people do good stuff. Remember what the bar is? That's right. Uh, Look at uh, the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 64. Uh, We are all infected and impure with sin. I I like the way the New Living put that. We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're nothing but filthy rags. When the bar is perfection, like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. Maybe you've read this in Romans chapter 3. Verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And sum it up, Romans 3, 23. Would you read this one with me out loud, please? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Some translations even have the standard of God. What's the standard? Perfection. What's the bar? Perfection. How many of us measure up to us to it? Zippo. None of us. Who gets to set the bar? God does. What is the bar? Sinless perfection. Who gets to the bar? Nobody does. That's how I started that. I started this section by saying that this is the classic good news, bad news scenario. The bad news, who measures up to the bar? Nobody does. The good news, who can measure up to the bar? Anybody can. Anybody can. Oh, well, tell me more, Pastor. I believe I will. Look at this. How do I reach the bar? How do I reach the bar? Because this is a, this is a perplexing problem that you've placed before us, Pastor. You've just said that God is the one that sets the bar. I can get my mind around that. He owns the property. It makes sense. You've also said that he set the bar at perfection, that in order uh, to get into heaven, that, that there must be absolute perfection. And clearly, none of us are perfect. His word makes it clear. We can look at all kinds of examples. We know that not, none of us are perfect. Therefore, none of, us, none of us are perfect, so none of us can reach the perfection. Watch this. Oh, this is going to get good. None of us are perfect, so none of us can reach the perfection of heaven. So what do we do? We don't do diddly. God did. We can't reach perfection, so we can't reach the perfection of heaven. So guess what God did? God sent the perfection of heaven to us. God sent the perfection of heaven To you and to me, ladies and gentlemen, that's what God did. How do I reach the bar? By falling on my face and acknowledging that I have no worth or value in myself at all. I know some psychologists probably say it's not healthy for me to say that to y'all. But God says it over and over again. But he says, but yet I've chosen to love you. We probably all are familiar with John 3.16, but oftentimes we don't read it in, in, in 
at least part of its context. Can I just show that to you? Uh, John chapter 3 is beginning in verse 13. Uh, No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. Now what he's talking about, if you're not familiar with the story... I'll finish reading in a second. But uh, when when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness, uh, they rebelled against God. They they made idols of themselves. And they said, we don't, you know, we don't not trust in God. We should have never left Egypt, all that stuff. If you've read this account, you know the story. And and so God allowed uh, these uh, poisonous snakes to come into the camp, to come in among the camp. uh, Because the people had, had, had decided that they didn't need God. So these venomous desert snakes begin to come in and begin to bite people and people begin to die. And Lord, it's a miracle. Suddenly people need God. Isn't that funny how that works? Oh, God, God, help us. There's, there's uh, deadly snakes in, in, in the camp. What are we to do? And God, in my mind, God does a very strange thing. God says, I'll tell you what you do. Moses, uh, make a snake. Out of brass or some metal or something. Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Thanks for that one, God. That'll help. But watch this. You know what he's doing? Because you know, you, you know what this is. Y'all know what this is. You already know what this is. But you, where are their eyes? Where are their eyes? <laughs> I, there's no way I'm taking my eye off the ground. There are deadly snakes down here everywhere. And if I could move the right, wrong way or I could, I could step, I'm, I'm looking for snakes. But what is this? What is, what is God, what's with a snake on a pole? It's called faith. Look up. Look up and trust in me in your moment of crisis, in your moment of need. Look up and believe that I'm able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. Look up. That's exactly, that's exactly what God did for you and me. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I love this. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world. That's not why Jesus came. The world was already condemned. The world was already under sin. For God did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him. There's your standard of perfection meeting our imperfection. God the Son, perfect in, in everything, perfect in His essence, the bar, if you will, came down to earth. Think, think of the beautiful symmetry of this. Think of the beautiful symmetry of this. Jesus says in Matthew five forty eight, all right, you want to get in, all you got to do is be like God, which we've already established we can't do. So what did God do? He became like us. Sinless, perfect, yes, but he became a man and he went to a cross and he shed his perfect blood so that we might be covered in his perfection, so that we might receive his righteousness. This may sound strange to you, but the truth is we are saved by good works, but not ours, but by God's good work. On the cross, shedding his blood that we might be redeemed And have access to the perfection of his presence in heaven. You see, it really is amazing grace. So, being good enough is good enough to get you in? Absolutely, unequivocally, no. 
You can't do it. But God did it for you. If you would, by faith, as I did so many years ago now, when I was as far from God as anybody could be, if you would, by faith, reach out and say, God, I don't understand it all. I don't know how it all works, but I believe. To the best of my ability, I believe that you're the son of God, that you went to the cross and died in my place, that I might be redeemed and that I might have eternal life as a result of nothing I did, but based only on what you accomplished on the cross. By your perfection, Lord God, that's the only way I'll be healed in this. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior, why would you not do that today? Hallelujah, what a Savior. Thanks, Pastor, for reminding us today of just how amazing grace is. God's standard is much higher than most people realize, and the truth is, being good enough just isn't good enough. It took perfection to make it possible for us to be able to get to go to heaven. God provided that perfection by laying down His perfect life on the cross and paying the price for our sin. Have you accepted God's gift of eternal life, or are you still hoping to be good enough? We're glad you spent some time with us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone and everyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.